0: Hello, Internet. My name's Phil Dory and welcome back to ESC Insight Presents Eurovision Wars. In this next episode, we'll be continuing the Russia-Ukraine story from the 2017 contest hosted in Kiev right up to the eve of the full-scale invasion. This episode was previously broadcast on Spotify in 2022. If you want to catch season two a little early, you can hear that on Spotify. Hello, Europe, and welcome back to Eurovision Wars. In the last episode, we followed the rivalry of Russia and Ukraine at Eurovision up to 2016 when Jamala won the contest with 1944 a lament to the Stalinist genocide of the Crimean Tatars with very thinly veiled references to the ongoing Russian occupation of Crimea. And joining me once again in Liverpool, we have Jamie Halliwell. Hello, UK. Hello, hello, Phil. Thank you for having me again. And from Copenhagen, we have Julia Hesseris. Hello, hello. Denmark.
1: <laughs> hello.
0: So how are you finding this sort of trip back through memory lane so far?
1: Oh, I'm always loving a chance to chat Eurovision, to be honest. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, definitely.
0: And we're now moving to 2017. I'll uh, just, really just start by just sharing a little personal recollection, which was start of the Eurovision week, I actually arrived in Kiev on the Sunday night before the Grand Final. On the Monday, I headed down to the Maidan, the main square in central Kiev. And that was actually Victory in Europe Day. And all around the square, there were placards depicting the heroes of World War II. On the Maidan monument itself, there were pictures of Ukrainian soldiers taped to it, who I presumed were the ones who'd been killed in the fighting in the Donbass. Behind me was a burnt-out building that had been gutted during the Euromaidan revolution, with a giant banner draped over it bearing the words «Freedom is our religion». And in amongst all this, there was a flowery Eurovision logo. And just down the street, surrounded by what looked like half the National Guard of Ukraine, was the Eurovision village. I was like, "Okay, we are not in Stockholm anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did either of you two happen to go to Kiev in
2: 2017? No, I didn't. No, I was at home, I think.
0: Uh, It was a very, very interesting experience. I'd been to Eurovision in Malmo and in Vienna, but suddenly this was somewhere completely different. And although Kiev was at the time a perfectly safe place to visit, you really did get that sense that you had arrived in a war zone. You would see soldiers in military fatigues going on and off the metro tapping away on their iPhones and I do remember not long after I arrived in Kiev I heard there was like an English language conversation club happening in a nearby bar and I thought well oh, let's go to that meet some Ukrainians We were probably a little surprised that we turned up because normally it was local Ukrainians meeting up to practice their English rather than tourists looking to hang out so <laughs> oh, 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 perfect, perfectly hospitable about it they're also a little surprised we'd chosen to go on holiday to Ukraine they were like what, you came here for a holiday? <laughs> you do realise this is Ukraine, right? <laughs> have, although actually, I think Ukraine is a really, really interesting place to visit. And I have very fond memories of the place, which has made what happened since you know, all the more heartrending. If the Ukrainian government wanted to use it as a big showcase of Ukrainian nationalism with this win with 1944, I have to say it wasn't having any impact on the people I spoke to. They really did not care less that the contest was happening. I think one of them said to him, look we're we're all living on low incomes our politicians are all corrupt we're not going to feel better about things just because eurovision's in town also went to chernobyl a few years after that i'd be like my god i've been this russian soldiers is running all over it (laughs) (laughs) because you can visit chernobyl or you could before the war and it was perfectly safe to do it with a guide i mean uh, although it's not safe like some russian soldiers did to walk into the middle of the Red Forest, which is the most contaminated part of the zone, dig a trench in it and sit in that trench for weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was the setting, and which kind of left Russia with a bit of a dilemma. Because would they want to actually be in Kiev for the contest? Jamie, do you happen to remember the song that they were going
2: to enter, but kind of didn't? Yes, I think if I memory says I think they were going to send Julia yeah, uh, with the song "Flames Burning if I yes. remember, and that was their choice to send to Kiev, and that was, yeah, she was initially planned, but then she then was issued, if I'm right uh, she was issued a three year travel ban by Ukraine because she entered Ukraine illegally under Ukrainian law, and she went from Russia to Crimea, and she performed in Crimea yes. um, as well in 2015 and i don't it was it that year where she was banned from entering ukraine but did was there a, a thing where they were trying to let her perform via satellite link was that that year i think there was talk of that there was talk of that and i was just like what is there, you know and yeah it, it was that it was that year they were thinking about it, wasn't it and I, I i yeah i couldn't remember what year that was and then obviously ultimately russia withdrew because uh, she was banned from uh, Entering, yeah, it? so but, but, you know, uh, because of what had happened. So, yes, I don't remember the song itself. I cannot hear, I, I don't know what it sounds like at all. Yeah, so, we'll play it in a moment.
0: Yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, it's possibly worth noting that she is a disabled woman. She has spinal mu- muscular atrophy and uses a wheelchair. And there was some speculation that maybe. Russia had decided well we don't really want to be there so let's send an artist who we know is going to get banned because she's performed in Crimea which is illegal under Ukrainian law and just so we can show what terrible people Ukrainians are we'll make it a disabled one would you uh, Yulia would you place any credence in that I mean I can't say for
1: sure but it definitely worked out in their favor, didn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah. we, we can't say. But if they were going to not take part in the contest that year, this would definitely be a good way to save face if you mm-hmm. weren't going. But yeah. I can't, I can't say.
0: Yeah.
1: I was just sitting here thinking that it sounds like a non qualifier to me.
0: Yes, uh, I was. That was just going to be my next question. How do you think it would have done if it had actually gone to Ukraine? Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> Ukraine's entry that year is also kind of gone from my mind. I mean, it was a, a metal band and, you know, I'm, I have no problem with metal at Eurovision. I like metal at Eurovision and both Finland and Italy showed that metal absolutely does have a place at Eurovision, but good metal. So I don't have too much to say about the Ukrainian song other than it wasn't very good and it...
1: I genuinely don't really... remember it.
2: I, 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 was it O Torvald? O Yeah, Time? Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. remember the song at all. And it kind of had
0: the curse of the host country Where it finished near the bottom And there's really nothing to say about it But you mentioned that it would have been a non-qualifier And I think that's right But Yulia Samalova, she did come back in 2018 And she did get to compete that time in Lisbon And it did non-qualify Yeah, with a different song I Stand, I think it was called Probably wouldn't be called that, to be honest
2: or was, it, or was it? I won't break or something. I no, I, I, yeah, I won't, won't break. break. Yeah,
0: so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know where that where I, that came from. But I remember, I remember she was on a well it was supposed to be like a giant ice sculpture that they perched her on top of. But it kind of made her look like they put her on a giant frozen
2: boot Yeah, I, I, yeah. It's it reminded me. It was like it was like a like a mountain or something or some sort of yeah like some sort of giant mountain. I remember says sitting on top of it and then. There was these dancers in front of her dancing on stage, and I think they tried to hide her wheelchair as well. And I was like, I was very uncomfortable. I thought, but it was just such it was such an, like elaborate staging concept, which I think was on before a break. But yeah, I mean, I, I can't really remember the song to that either. To be fair, no, yeah, it, no it was dull. Either.
0: It was dull. And yeah, um, a yeah, very similar sound to Flame is Burning. And yeah, it, it non qualified, and which I think was the first time Russia had failed to qualify mm. from the semi finals, which, according to my Russian context, did lead to a, another round in the Russian media of, well, it's all just political. They all hate us. That's why they wouldn't. <laughs> no, it was just. It was just dull. <gasps>
1: it's such an easy argument to make, and it has absolutely no foundation in the truth.
0: Yeah, U- Ukraine qualified fine that year. Uh, Melvin under the ladder, which meant that Ukraine, as of twenty twenty one, Ukraine has been the only country that competes in semi finals, excluding the Big Five, of course, where they had qualified to the final every time. It was just them and Australia until twenty twenty one, but Australia did qualify twenty twenty one. So Ukraine, a very successful Eurovision country in that respect. Well, I say they got through to the final every time. Uh, Not quite every time. Because, well, let's talk about what happened in 2019. Or
2: rather didn't.
0: Did either of you happen to see the Vibia show for 2019?
2: No. I don't remember much about it I, I think I watched it in pieces But not sort of, didn't watch it religiously There was
0: sort of a similar theme to what happened in 2016 Where the show's panellists were very aggressively Questioning the participants on their loyalty to Ukraine Particularly if they'd happened to do tours in Russia Which, if you're you a Russian-speaking singer Then you probably are going to want a tour in Russia It's going to be your biggest market and whereas in 2016 it had been Ruslana kind of leaving that you know are you loyal to Ukraine this time it was Jamala who's doing it and she was particularly giving a hard time to a singer by the name of
2: Maruf.
0: Do you both remember Maruf's performance?
2: Yes I think yeah just about I've got images I remember was there like a line of them de- with her and the dancers in the line on the floor? Mm. I vaguely remember that. And they've got this the sort of bum bada bum 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 that bit. Yeah. <laughs> that do you bit. remember it Julia?
1: I have to admit that in 2019, I was utterly obsessed with Hattery. So that was where <laughs> all of my attention was going. I, I don't know a lot of it. We will yeah. be
0: doing an episode on Hattery. <laughs> <So. Yes>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not my favorite thing I've ever heard in Eurovision. I, I like the beat drop. There was some questionable uh, vocals and harmonies in there throughout. maybe I mean it's a good thing that the streak of always qualifying when you enter is still intact because I'm not sure if I'm not sure if it would have qualified if it had gone through um if I'm being a little bit pessimistic
2: what do you think of it Jamie yeah I mean I remember I think looking at Twitter at that time and I think a lot of a lot of fans were obsessed with it and that whole song I mean as Julie says I think the vocal was a bit shaky in places, you know, and we we had a bit of leather there as well. Um, <laughs> and you know, it. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if they'd stage it, if they would have staged a similar in where are we? Lisbon? Is this Lisbon? Uh, Tel Aviv? Tel Aviv, sorry, <laughs> Tel Aviv. Yeah, it'd be interesting how they would have staged that in Tel Aviv. Probably a similar thing. I mean, no doubt it. You know, it's got that sort of like dance and kind of like you could you could hear that beat drop quite. Loudly at a club during quite a sort of Like you know underground environment or whatever And I think you know People watching that at home probably will be like Oh you know this is kind of This is going to get us dancing in front of our Television screens or whatever So I mean I, th- I mean I probably would say it will it probably qualify I mean it probably would have like Maybe juries might have ranked it a bit Lower perhaps than the teleboat Upped sort it. of one of those kind of Things Yeah, I think
1: yeah, um, I think you're, you're right about that. It probably would have qualified. I think you're, you're right, Jimmy.
0: And although this, this is an audio podcast, so people can't actually see the stage performance that she did, but it's, for a Eurovision song, it's a surprisingly sexualized performance. You know, there's a bit where one of her female backing dancers, she's leading around using her hair ponytail as a lead. There's a bit where one of her dancers is firing off a fire extinguisher
2: in a rather phallic way. It's not subtle. I mean, you've got Hattori, so... <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, this wouldn't have been anything compared to that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. And actually, some people did suspect that possibly the reason, or at least part of the reason Hattori did so well is because we felt that a lot of people who liked Hattori would like also like Maruve, and they'd be fishing mm-hmm. the same territory, although I suspect you're not going to be convinced about that, Yulia.
1: No. <laughs> 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 not even a little bit, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah, so that was the song, uh, which for reasons we'll get into, did not appear at Eurovision. And as I said before, just as back in 2016, Ruslana was aggressively questioning the entrance on their loyalty to Ukraine. Jamala was doing the same in 2019. And she was particularly giving Maruva a hard time because she'd done tours of Russia. At one point, there's a rather notorious exchange between Jamala, and she's mostly talking in, I wasn't sure if she was talking in Ukraine or Russia, and I, from having been to Ukraine, what they remember is that Ukrainians will often switch interchangeably between Ukrainian and Russian anyway. But at one point, she switches to English, telling Maru that she's prepping her for some of the questions she may get at Eurovision in Tel Aviv. And here's what she had to say.
1: Hi, Anya. Hi, Maruv. Welcome to Tel Aviv. So I have a very uncomfortable question to you. Crimea is Ukraine? Ukraine, of course. OK. <laughs> okay.
0: OK. Obviously, because this is audio, viewers can't see the reaction there. But Maruv clearly did not look happy to be asked that. So a bit of a surprising question.
1: I think Jamala is right that she would probably be asked it.
2: What do you think, Jamie? Was that a fair question to be asking? I I mean, I, I, I don't know if, if Jamala knew about Maru's sort of like, you know, like touring in Russia, probably. Oh, she did. She did, yeah. She did know, yeah. So that's probably why she asked yeah. that question. But I mean, it does seem... Again, bringing politics into the whole thing as well in terms mm. of, you know, more broader politics, or, you know, mm. international relations and that kind of thing. So, I mean, obviously were taken aback by that question and, and that's so probably unexpected. And um, maybe there was some script be- before they started filming this is that, that you know, they need to ask these questions. I don't know if, if you know, yeah. this was all sort of like it was you know, she asked that on the cuff or she was told that she had Mm. to, you know, ask that question. I I mean, I don't know. It is
0: notable that Jamala didn't ask any of the other entrants that particular question. right? So, Yeah. I mean, I'm going back and forth about this in my own mind, because certainly when it happened at the time, my reaction was, you know, this is just gross and nationalistic and a really unfair question. Although there has been part of my mind that has been thinking back in the light of recent events and thinking, should we maybe actually check our West European privilege a little? And did the likes of Jamala and Ruslana simply see something coming that we didn't? That's a thought process in my mind. Although Maruv did win the contest, she was immediately asked to sign a really punitive set of terms and conditions for competing. She had to pay her own expenses. She had to sign a contract not to perform in Russia. She wasn't allowed to live on stage. She wasn't allowed to talk to journalists without permission. And at that point, she decided she was withdrawing. And the contest slot was offered to the second place entrant. They refused because they didn't want to take those terms and conditions either. And so did all the other entrants. Mm-hmm. So Ukraine had to sit that one out that year. But Jamie, who was back that year? Who was
2: backed? Who was back? Oh, who was back? Oh, was this Sergei again?
0: Yes, Sergey
2: Sergei again. again with a scream. Yes. Yes.
1: Oh, he really loves Eurovision.
2: <laughs> <laughs> did you like it?
1: I mean, uh... Again, it's, it's not my favourite type of Eurovision act, but there's nothing wrong with it. But yeah,
0: it's not my favourite. What about you, Jamie?
2: Yeah, same. I mean, I kind of brushed over it, to be honest, in 2019. Didn't do anything for me, really. I've kind of forgotten it as well. So this might be
0: a little bit surprising, but actually I kind of prefer it to You Are The Only One. Well, to me, there's a little more depth to it. I mean, it does sound a bit like a Disney song.
2: Mm.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. So, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean there was some speculation that the scream he's singing about was about his desire to come out as gay. I mean, that's that okay. might be people putting his, their own interpretation on it. I don't know. Okay.
2: So, I didn't I've not I haven't actually thought of it that way actually. So, but yeah. uh, well, I've just I mean, I've just heard that that lyric that that lyric reads like I swallowed hard. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'd, 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 I'd not heard that before in that song.
1: So, oh my god.
2: That's why I was kind of like giggling to myself. Like, what? Listen, like, listen to. Her. I was like, no, oh, I've not no. heard, why haven't you just heard this now?
1: <laughs> oh Jamie, you didn't. Oh no.
0: Oh welcome to Eurovision Wars, the podcast that goes there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Oh. Okay, yeah, but it didn't do as well as you are the only one. And yeah, perhaps it is a bit less of a obvious going for the win song. But nice to see Sergey again. <laughs> and as you say, Julia, he does seem to love his Eurovision. <laughs> he does. Yeah. There's only really one more song I want to bring to this episode because we're going to cut to 2021, so bring us right up to before the invasion. And obviously 2020 didn't happen because of the pandemic. And although the Ukraine song, Shunba Go Away, is probably one of my favourite entries Ukraine has ever sent. It doesn't add a great deal to the story we're telling, so apologies for the fact that that's not the one I'm going to play, even though I love it.
1: It's but... so good, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to the Glastonbury Festival in... Oh, they're going to be time, there, aren't they? So... They're going to be there, yeah. Yay, look Amazing. Um... Actually, the song I wanted to talk about was the Russian entry, Russian Woman by Manesha. I find this very interesting because it's a feminist anthem in a country that is notoriously misogynistic. The singer Manisha, she's a a Tajik refugee, which was born in Tajikistan, and as I understand it being from Tajikistan in Russia, that's like being a Mexican refugee in the United States. And she's also very vocally pro-LGBT rights. And it was also the first year that Russia had a selection show rather than doing an, an internal selection for a long time. So the public chose that this was the song they wanted to hear. Isn't that interesting? Yulia, did you want to go first? I, I, I
1: cannot really put into words how much I, I love this act. This is exactly what I love mm. about Eurovision when, when songs like these into the the contest and like you said especially this being selected actually selected by the russian people rather than being sent i love it so much <laughs> i remember there was a meme going around of of someone like being really this is not going to translate well to a (laughs) to a podcast but basically someone being really obsessed with like trying to describe the layers in this song and the rest of the viewing party just basically wanting to watch your vision and that's exactly how I felt because when dealing with displays of nationality in in this act they're really taking back the the narrative and and turning things around she's literally stepping out of like the stereotype in the beginning of the song When she goes out from that big babushka uh, dress And I just I just love it so, so much uh, Cannot say enough nice things about it
2: Jamie? Yeah, same I mean, I, it's just, it's all about female empowerment You know, she's represented women and activists across Russia And she's sort of like giving voice to those people in Russia Who are often silenced as well and even around the contest, you know, she was, as you say, she was vocal about, you know, LGBT rights and women's rights and, and all that kind of thing. And she was kind of like trying to challenge those traditional uh, representations of what a Russian woman is, you know. And I think the national selection was interesting in itself because I think she, was she a last minute addition to the selection? I'm, I'm not sure, but I think she, you know, she, she she got in the national selection and, you know, and, 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 and won it. And I just think, you know, and people voted for her. And I mean, she did, I think she did sadly receive a lot of xenophobic and hate comments towards her on social media. Uh, she I did. Think, and, yeah, yeah. Mm. Re- just awful w- w- when she won that. But just, she's, maybe she's just awesome. Just, you know, she's great. And, you know, she's a great voice for, for those for people who are being, who are like, need their voices heard. Essentially. Mm. So just I agree. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. It's just great, 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 great song and great artist.
1: I think it was a very brave thing for her to do mm. because like you said, that she, she did receive a lot of hate for it. And I think she knew that going in that would pop, that would happen and she still did it. And I think she's just a tremendously brave thing to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And personally, I suspect that if the UK entry for Eurovision was a pro-LGBT rights refugee singing a feminist anthem, they would get hate mail. Never mind in Russia. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I believe she said that she'd actually had an email from a, another woman in Russia telling Manisha that she hoped that when she flies to Rotterdam, the plane would crash and she'd die. Yeah,
1: yeah just just awful. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I guess the reason I wanted to particularly highlight it is because it's very hard to imagine this at the moment. But one thing it does show is that there's a better Russia that's out there.
1: Yeah, I think we have to be careful not to intertwine the Russian Mm. people with the Russian government because it's not always one-to-one.
0: Yeah, and I hope that better Russia survives what is happening now. And it may have a hard time doing so. We do need to remember that it's there. And in the next episode, it's probably going to get pretty dark because we are going to start talking about the war itself. But before we close this episode, we need to give a null points and a douze points to one of these songs. So, Yulia, who are you giving your null points to?
1: Can you just remind me which okay, ones you've been speaking of?
0: So, yeah, I know <laughs> Flame, is, Flame is Burning by Yulia Samoilova, Siren Song by Maruv, Scream by Sergei Lazarev, and Russian Woman by Manisha.
1: Oh, God. Um, I think it's... I mean, there's only one really that really stands out for me, and that's Russian Woman, and that's obviously going to get my 12 points. Yeah. For the others, I'm, I'm hesitant to say anything because there's a lot of different things going into it. There's a lot of speculation when it comes to the Russian act in 2017. With the suspicion that Scream could be about his desire to come out, I don't really feel comfortable avoiding no points, gotta say.
0: <laughs> okay, you don't have to if, if it doesn't feel comfortable.
2: Okay, uh, what about you, Jamie? Yeah, Russian woman gets my 12 completely. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm sort of in a similar boat with with Julie, actually, to be honest. I don't know if, depending on those sort of circumstances, but yeah, I'm just going to give my 12 points, I think.
0: So we're just going to give the 12 points. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so, Manisha, you get our 12 points.
1: Julia, where can people find you on social media? I'm on Twitter, all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, my name is Julie Hasseris.
0: So it's spelt that way. It's just not pronounced that way in Danish. So. Yeah. <laughs> and yourself, Jamie? Yeah, I'm on
2: Twitter at Freak.
0: Okay. So join us in the next episode when we're going to be talking about the war itself. Eurovision Wars is presented by ESC Insight, hosted by Phil Dory, with guests Dr. Jamie Halliwell and Yulia Hesseris. Find out more at www.eseinsight.com and support the site at patreon.com slash eseinsight.